Blog Talk Radio. Technology you can trust. 
You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. 
All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper. Uh, great show lined up for today. It is Monday, which means, of course, we have Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. And today we're talking about LT. Uh, there may have been a little outbreak of uh, LT after the Ohio National Poultry Show. We're going to talk about that and then a quick overview of uh, AI, avian influenza, and uh, maybe some uh, biosecurity uh, reminders and uh, tips. So let's go ahead and get on with the show. Um, just to let you guys know, um, uh, to keep you updated, because uh, a lot of you have sent me emails, um, surgery is scheduled for this Friday. Uh, we'll be heading over to the area on Thursday for pre-op, and I will be in the general area for, for about a week. Um, and uh, so uh, please keep me in your prayers and uplifting thoughts. Also, just to kind of give you an idea, um, we've got a uh, a bad cell coming across right now, a thunderstorm, lightning, high winds and things. So um, I'm going to keep an eye out on that while we are broadcasting live. I'm not on a landline or anything like that, but um, we are in an RV resort, so RVs and high winds don't really go together. It may just be a simple uh, thunderstorm. Uh, so uh, if you hear some thunder in the background, that's what's going on, and uh, I'll be monitoring that while uh, Peter... And you might hear some uh, rain um, uh, <laughs> hitting on top. You know, RVs and uh, trucks aren't the most insulated thing. So um, I'll put myself on mute and uh, get that pen and paper out because we're going to learn a lot of stuff today from my good friend, Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. In fact, let's give him a big chicken whisper welcome today. Hey, Peter, thanks for coming on. Hey, Andy, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, getting over the cold I had last Monday. Still have an occasional cough, so uh, glad to get over that. Um, part of me is anticipating the surgery Friday. I'll be glad to get it over with. I'll be glad to hopefully, if it's successful, be pain free. Because the last 14 years, I've battled with this thing, but the last two years it's gotten to be just where my quality of life was not so good, especially with two young kids. And I just have to uh, have to get it done. Like with most people with the surgery, you just uh, you say, "Oh no, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait." But Sooner or later, there'll be a time, uh, like my mom and dad, I've seen them have to make over the years, where it's just uh, a decision you have to make. There's there's no choice. You have to have it done. It's gotten to the point where your quality of life is zero. And uh, I'm not, I'm probably not at the zero point, but with two kids, uh, I've noticed that the last year or two becoming more um, holding me down. And then with these big tours that I do and being on the road uh, almost full time, I just I just have to make that decision. So, uh, but I'll get it done Friday. I'll keep everybody posted, kind of on. Uh, there won't be a show next Monday. Um, you know, I can't say that right now. There, you know, I might be uh, perfectly fine uh, by Monday, surgery Friday. So uh, I'm not even going to say that. I'm going to be uh, uh, very positive, and the uh, glass is half full, not half empty. And uh, we'll just see. Maybe we'll have an episode next week uh, as I uh, recover. So uh, don't go scratch that. We may have something Monday, but of course, but I'll let you know Sunday evening. So. Uh, couple of great topics today that we're all uh, anxious to, to learn and hear about. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let's get our pens and paper out and get ready to take some notes, folks. Okay. Well, um, we've been over uh, LT, which is uh, <clears throat> more commonly called laryngotracheitis, trach, uh, any one of those three are quite common uh, terminology for this uh, particular disease. Um what prompted me to come back and go over it again is that there was a discussion, uh, a very civil, very uh, forthright uh, discussion on one of the Facebook forums um, uh, concerning a, a person who had uh, some difficulty with uh, LT after the Ohio National. And um, 
it just made sense to me to come back and go back over it because there were a lot of questions asked uh, uh, on that particular forum. Um, all questions are good questions when they're meant with good intent, and all of them were. Um, but a lot of misinformation or, or just didn't plain didn't know and, and that kind of thing, and, and I was glad to uh, be available to these folks to, uh, to try to explain as best I could um, you know, what the disease is, what it does, what it doesn't do, uh, and so on. So I thought it would be a good idea uh, to go over um, the disease one more time, um, and we'll probably do it a lot more uh, as, as time goes on. But uh, it's important to, to understand this particular disease because um, uh, sometimes uh, even the best of, of biosecurity um, uh, will not stop it either. Uh, you know, bring, when you go to these big poultry shows, uh, look, certainly you can go to any show and pick up any disease. So um, I'm not going to poke uh, at any one particular one. But uh, the, the bigger the show, the greater the risk, in my opinion, uh, because you bring in people from all walks of life, uh, uh, from all over the country, uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. And, the, you know, when it's big like that, uh, the greater the, uh, the uh, opportunity to, to spread a particular pathogen. Um, most of the people who, who um, have been spreading this stuff around um, are more than likely not aware of it. Uh, number two, don't understand it. <clears throat> number three, probably, uh, in most cases, uh, and I base this on symptomology, mortality, uh, and so on, have probably vaccinated with a uh, chick embryo vaccine versus tissue culture. And uh, there's a huge, huge, huge difference between the two. Uh, and we'll, we'll go into that in a little bit and try to explain that uh, as to, you know, why you should use one uh, versus the other and, and so on. Um, so laryngotracheitis uh, is a virus. Uh, there is no uh, outright cure for it uh, to eliminate it from birds and eliminate it from your premise. Um, many have tried uh, depopulation, uh, and in some states uh, uh, it is a mandatory uh, depopulation uh, some of them have now gone to very long-term quarantines, uh, but nonetheless, um, it is a problem from time to time in, in the backyard setting. Um, it is not huge in the backyard setting, but I can foresee it becoming more and more of a problem uh, as these things uh, go on and people not understanding it um, and uh, people spreading uh, information via the Internet as usual uh, that is inaccurate uh, and not helpful in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, um, again, it is a virus. Um, the key to this thing is that it spreads very rapidly. Uh, this is um, something that you can pick up and in a matter of three or four days start to see the signs and or the symptoms of the disease. And once it gets rolling, it's pretty hard to stop it uh, from getting to the other birds because somebody has to tend those sick birds. And when you tend those sick birds, you're going to pick up that virus. Okay. And when you pick up that virus, you're going to move it on to the next pen that doesn't have it or the next building that doesn't have it. So it's very, very difficult to contain it. Can it be done? Yes. But the, uh, uh, the amount of, of, of biosecurity that you have to have and the diligence that you have to have um, when dealing with this particular disease uh, is, is, uh, is huge. And most people um, start out with it uh, in, a, in a good light and try to do the best they can, and then somewhere along the line, uh, life intercedes and uh, life gets in the way 
uh, by life I mean uh, got to pick up the kids from school so we uh, forget to disinfect something or, or we forget to do something that we would do in our biosecurity routine and we breach that and then uh, we come back and start off doing something else so we didn't disinfect the car when we went somewhere to somebody else's place who had it or all of these different things uh, inanimate objects are probably the uh, and man himself are the, are the two uh, biggest uh, spreaders of, of this disease. Uh, the feeders, the drinkers, uh, uh, the litter that's contaminated, the water that gets contaminated. Uh, uh, this uh, bird starts sneezing and coughing and, and don't always show the textbook signs and symptoms that you would see um, uh, written on, on most of the forums and most of the books and, and other uh, reading material from universities and academia related to uh, this particular disease um, will all tell you about slinging blood and this and that and the other thing. And generally, unless you have a field outbreak from a field virus, we don't see that. So right off the bat, you know, it, you look at it and you say, well, it can't be LT because there's no blood. Well, the blood shows up, but in very minute amounts in comparison to what it used to do uh, 40 years ago. Uh, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it was not uncommon to walk into a poultry house anywhere, uh, especially broiler chickens, uh, where the uh, uh, disease was endemic. Uh, and uh, you'd walk into those chicken houses and you knew right off the bat because not only were they dead birds, but there was blood all over the walls where they'd slung it out of their mouth and trying to clear their airway and, and so on. So you don't always see that today because of the vaccinations that go on, number one. Uh, number two, uh, you will see it most likely uh, in a more subtle way. You may even happen to open a bird's mouth uh, to, to observe it, uh, or there may be a tinge of blood in the water. There may be a blood spot on a water or a feeder or uh, things of that nature, um, which are not overly alarming to people, again, because the next thing you're going to think about, well, somebody was fighting, and you look around and you see a bird that might have a little bit of a cut somewhere on their comb or whatever, and you figure that's the culprit and that's where it came from. And all of this delay is what allows this thing to get a, a greater hold uh, on the flock. So uh, it's very difficult to tell uh, the, the difference between this and, uh, uh, and an injury. Uh, obviously, when the bird starts sneezing and coughing uh, and those kinds of things, uh, you know, we're not talking about birds that were cut. So, uh, but by the time that sets in, uh, the majority of the flock has the disease. Um, the morbidity, the birds that sit around and uh, uh, try to stretch their head out in front of them, that's one of the tip-offs to these birds, uh, will sit back on their tail and they'll stretch their neck out. Sometimes they'll do it right down on the, on the, on the litter. Uh, it just depends. But they are trying to clear the airway. This particular virus settles down in the trachea, okay, trachea being their airway. And um, what it does is it causes that airway to bleed. Okay, and you've heard me talk about it before on this show, and many times uh, talking about other diseases besides the laryngotracheitis or LT, uh, bronchitis, uh, uh, coryza, mycoplasma, uh, all of these type of things that are respiratory uh, cause uh, mucus to go down the airway. Well, this one causes blood to go down the airway, and we've talked about it as being a, a group of descending tubes that get smaller as they go down into the into the chest. Um, as they pass through that clavicle, which is the wishbone, and, and the, the trachea itself, it splits off and goes to the bronchi, then the mesobronchi, and these are just a small uh, group of tubes that get smaller as they descend down and attach to the lungs. So you can imagine blood uh, being in that airway 
and really not having any mechanism to get it out other than to sling their heads. And uh, uh, they usually end up losing that battle. Uh, the blood starts to coagulate in the airway, and then you'll start to see them with that closed eye look and that, that head stretched and the mouth open, and they start to turn cyanotic, and then first thing you know, they're dead. So, uh, again, you can see it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, a field outbreak uh, may indeed show you mortality real quick. Okay, within three, four, five days of exposure, uh, birds start to show up dead, uh, even before uh, you start to even see the blood. As the disease progresses through the flock, uh, you may see, see some of that uh, slinging the head side to side, and they make a cacawing sound, a very odd sound, okay? Sitting on back on the tail again, stretching the neck out, trying desperately to breathe. Those are all signs and symptoms of laryngotracheitis. And the bad part about it is, when you try to save them, you really can't because you can't get in their airway either and you can't help them really get it out. So birds that are that, are that far gone usually are your mortality. Uh, the morbidity in birds can be very high. Um, uh, the percentages really don't matter at the end of the day, but you, you can see, uh, um, you know, 70 80% morbidity, birds sitting around, uh, not wanting to move, sitting back on their tail, coughing, sneezing. One of the other things you may see with this disease as well, uh, which can be confusing to people because you look at it and say, oh, that's bronchitis because they get a watery eye uh, or a uh, uh, conjunctivitis, uh, an inflammation of the conjunctiva of the eye. Um, and the, the, uh, the eye may, if it's a secondary bacterial infection of something like, let's say, E. coli, you'll end up seeing that, that face swell, and then you start thinking, oh, geez, coriza. So, I mean, you can be all over the place on this thing. Uh, the, the biggest thing with this is how it spreads. And if you suspect uh, a respiratory issue with your birds, open their mouth, look for the blood. You may even take a, uh, a long Q-tip or a cotton swab and very gently but quickly put it down the airway. You won't choke them to death if you do it quickly. You'll twirl it as you go down and twirl it as you come up and look at the end of it and see if you've got blood. Not definitive. It's not the only answer because the irritation of the of the uh, of the cotton swab going down there may give you a little bit of blood from time to time. But you know, it's it's one of the indicators. You can run that around on the inside of the bird's mouth without putting it in the trachea. See if you can pick up any any blood there because there shouldn't be any there. Okay. So there's a couple of things you can do from that standpoint. Um, you know, trying to uh, uh, trying to um, decide whether or not it is, uh, uh, you know, coryza, uh, bronchitis, uh, or, or one of those uh, other diseases. Um, you, you don't get confused with uh, wet pox either. Wet pox is going to give you a distinct group of lesions in the mouth. Okay, they're going to be more yellow. Uh, they can be a little slimy. It just depends. Uh, that is not uh, laryngotracheitis. It doesn't work that way. It really is an airway uh, invader is going to set up shop in that airway and make it bleed. Um, so you, you know, there's there's a couple of things you can do there, uh, and you know, by looking at that, birds are going to be depressed. Uh, again, gasping for air, stretching that neck out. Uh, mortality can can be high, uh, or it can be you know mediocre, you know, mid range, you know, ten, twenty percent, thirty percent. But <clears throat> when these birds get this through the uh, uh, conjunctiva of the eye, okay, uh, or uh, directly into the trachea itself, uh, the, the uh, 
the uh, incubation time is a lot quicker because now it's, it doesn't have to migrate to the trachea. Now it's right there. So going through the conjunctiva of the eye is going to take a little bit longer than if the bird gets it directly into the mouth and directly into the, the, uh, the uh, trachea, which, which can happen uh, uh, just by uh, being around other birds that have it and pecking around and stuff that's contaminated and picking it up that way. So you'll, um, the course of this disease, two weeks, three weeks, just depends. Um, depends on the, uh, whether it's a natural outbreak. Uh, most natural outbreaks have a tendency to last a little bit longer. Um, the disease uh, uh, outbreaks that are caused by vaccines uh, generally tend to uh, be uh, of shorter duration, and this, the symptoms are generally, like I said before, uh, not as severe. And uh, I think it's good to go over this stuff uh, and, and kind of drive the point home. Uh, don't want to be monotonous about it, so uh, we're not going to take a ton more time talking about this. But one other thing that, that uh, is extremely important uh, to, um, uh, to know with this particular, there are several vaccines out there. And knowing the difference uh, between the, the vaccines um, is going to go a long way in, in uh, uh, deciding how you're going to attack this thing and um, how you're going to keep it from from, uh, from becoming a problem for you, uh, especially if you show a lot or you're bringing a lot of birds in from different places, if you go to swap meets and buy birds, all of those things. I always tell people to, to uh, judge your risk factors before you embark on any vaccination program. They all have drawbacks to them. Okay, they all have drawbacks to them, whether it be the financial cost, uh, the financial cost and the time, uh, possible mortality from a, a particular vaccine that might be a little bit uh, uh, more invasive than you'd like. Uh, you know, uh, we find with birds sometimes, especially in a backyard setting, it's not the same as commercial birds. It's not the same. Uh, every human that gets a shot of vaccine everywhere uh, doesn't mean that that human is going to uh, react to it the same way as the uh, the person that got the vaccination before them or a year before them or, or, or whatever. There are always uh, generally some sort of, uh, of price to pay for vaccinating. Um, from my own perspective, if your risk is uh, great enough, uh, then I think that uh, vaccination is, is, is warranted and you'll have to decide uh, that for yourself. Nobody can really tell you. I get asked that question all the time. Should I vaccinate? Shouldn't I vaccinate? Um, I can't tell you. All I can do is, is advise you based on, on your risk. The three basic vaccines <clears throat> uh, that are available, uh, one is uh, we talked about uh, earlier briefly, I just mentioned it, was the chick embryo uh, vaccine. Um, the other was the uh, tissue culture. And the third is a um, what they call a pox-vectored uh, vaccine, uh, and it is... Um, under the uh, trade name of Vectormune, and uh, I used to carry uh, this this vaccine a long time ago. It's relatively expensive compared to the others, and um, for various reasons, people weren't willing to spend the extra money and, and so on and so forth, so uh, I stopped carrying it. Um, and the only way I would ever carry it again is if I had enough people to buy it uh, by the case uh, between a group of customers. That's the only way I could do it. Um, because when it outdates and you got to throw it away, it, uh, it uh, hurts the bottom line quite a bit. But at any rate, um, 
I'll explain the differences between the three and uh, you know why I feel you should use one over the other or uh, give you uh, some ideas of what the options would be. Um, but let me say this, the only way to stop a, uh, an outbreak of uh, laryngotracheitis, depending on the severity of it, uh, you might be wise to go through and euthanize all the birds that are severely debilitated, those that you're pretty sure in your own mind uh, are not going to make it. And then uh, you would turn around and vaccinate all of the remaining birds and then sit back and let the vaccine take hold and uh, the majority of those birds will come out of it um, and uh, will be just fine. It, they may look like they're going to die for a while, but uh, they'll, they'll come out of it. Uh, you may lose a few more. You may have to put a few more down uh, and that kind of thing, but that's the only way to stop it. There is no other alternative uh, other than depopulating the entire flock and starting over, which is uh, not only expensive, uh, uh, very difficult for a lot of folks to do. They have a lot of time, effort, and money put into the birds. Some of them are, are personal pets. Um, and all of those different things. So let's talk about the chick embryo vaccine. Uh, you never want to use this vaccine, in my opinion, never, ever, ever, ever. Uh, from my perspective, the vaccine shouldn't even be on the market. Uh, it's probably responsible for more vaccine outbreaks and spreading the virus around anywhere and everywhere uh, because it is what we consider a hot vaccine. Uh, the birds continually shed it. Even after the 30-day period of, of waiting time, they're still shedding the live virus. Um, the LT virus settles down in the nerve ganglia, similar to what fowl pox does in chickens and what uh, chicken pox does in humans. Uh, people who are, are older or get shingles, uh, that comes from the virus that's already in you, but it's in your nerve ganglia. This is a bundle of nerves uh, in your spinal column and uh, and, and elsewhere in your body, same thing with, with a chicken. Okay, the fowl pox does the same thing to the chicken, and the LT settles down in that same same place. Uh, the issue with it is it can lay there dormant for many, many years, and then uh, something triggers it just like it does in humans, usually stress of some sort or um, a problem with the immune system, and uh, it'll rear its ugly head. So uh, birds can be shedding it, and people not even realize it, and bird really for the most part, not showing any symptoms, okay? Um, so that's one of the, that's the main reason we, w we don't want to use that one. It's still sold. You'll know it because it's cheap. You can buy it anywhere for just about 10 bucks. okay? The uh, next vaccine that I'm going to mention is uh, called LTIVAX. It is a tissue culture vaccine. Um, it is the vaccine uh, that I have the most experience with, um, I happen to be uh, very lucky at a very early age in my career uh, to be exposed to uh, the uh, good majority of the research data uh, from that vaccine. Um, we're talking back to 1968, and um, I probably know more about most of that uh, vaccine than most people who are out here alive today, except for the original people who did the research if they're still alive, and I lost contact with them many years ago. So um, uh, this particular vaccine I'm well schooled in. Uh, I've seen the research data to show that it doesn't spread bird to bird. Uh, it's a very mild vaccine. Uh, there are on occasion some uh, vaccine reactions with this one as well, and generally that's because there's an underlying problem 
uh, either mycoplasma, uh, MGMS. Uh, there can be some E. coli issues. Uh, uh, there can be immune system issues. There can be birds that are developing Marix, which is an immune deficiency virus in itself. Um, there's a whole slew of things, um, and people don't understand that, uh, and they'll vaccinate with a vaccine, and uh, they'll have some trouble and, and just can't get their head around uh, the, the rhyme and reason why it's happening. But it all happens for a reason, and uh, if you read any of the vaccine uh, inserts for the uh, directions, they all tell you to vaccinate healthy birds. And a bird that is either a carrier or positive for mycoplasma is not considered a healthy bird. So therein lies the underlying problem. And uh, we've had this discussion many times on, on some of the boards and even on, on the show on occasion. Um, majority of people won't spend the time, the effort, and the money uh, to find out what's in their flock. And then there's a great percentage of them that don't want to know. Um, I guess on, on some, some quarters, uh, ignorance is bliss. But... Uh, when you vaccinate, um, you know, th there can be underlying issues that can exacerbate the uh, performance of the vaccine and, and make things uh, a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but the majority of the time, about 99% of the time, this vaccine is going to go and do its job for you uh, if you've done everything correctly uh, and you have good healthy birds and good shape, uh, good healthy immune systems. Uh, and, again, it doesn't spread bird to bird. Um, and I've seen all the research, I actually have the research data here in my office. I know exactly how long this vaccine will last in birds. And that's why they recommend uh, in the flyer that comes with it, the insert, uh, that this vaccine be uh, done twice because it's extremely mild, extremely mild. Okay? And they often get asked, uh, you know, why do they want you to do it uh, after four weeks of age? Well, the reason they want you to do it at four weeks of age, technically you could do it at any age. Uh, the research shows that, uh, that it can be given to birds really early on. The, what the research does show, uh, okay, when you do that, is that the degree of um, uh, immunity is sporadic. Okay? It's not even. And if you remember back when we were talking about uh, chick embryos and we were talking about uh, incubation and we were talking about gut health and all of those things, uh, I had mentioned to everybody that um, while we look at a chick at 21 days and it's fluffy and it's chirping and it's eating and it's drinking and everything else, it is still immature by far. And by that I mean not that it's not full grown. We all know that. But the, the immune system uh, is immature. The gut is sterile when it's first born. And it hasn't had an opportunity to really get its immune system up and going. Uh, it takes at least six weeks or more for the uh, intestine to finish growing out, and uh, it can take as many as, as, uh, as uh, eight, ten weeks or so for the uh, cecal tonsils to, uh, to mature and become totally functional. And we said before what lies in the immune system, about close to 70% of the bird's immune cells, what we call gut-associated lymphoid tissue. So you can see the rhyme and reason why they didn't want to do it early when the research showed them that you know doing it real early on uh, was not beneficial. They got much better response when they did it uh, at, um, at four weeks of age. So, uh, again, following the directions, uh, it calls for doing it again approximately six weeks later. The further out you get from vaccinating uh, uh, that six-week window of opportunity, so you get out seven, eight weeks, the less immunity you will have in the long run. Uh, 
because this is built on stimulating the immunity that is being built from the first dose. So if you look at it as a bell curve, okay, as it starts to come down the backside of that bell curve, the further it goes down, the less bounce you're going to get from the second dose. The second dose is designed as to be given as the immunity starts to lean a little bit and starts to come down that backside to uh, to uh, administer that vaccine so that you get a uh, bigger bounce off the top of that mountain than you do at the bottom of the mountain, okay? So that will give you a, a greater degree of, of longevity uh, as far as the immunity uh, afforded by the vaccine. But many people don't, only, don't do it twice. Most people do it only once. So uh, it's the mildest vaccine, and you'll know it. It's about 25 bucks most places. That's what we sell it for, 24.95, half for many years. Uh, it's much more expensive to buy. Okay, it costs way more than the ch- uh, chick embryo vaccine, uh, but it's so much more beneficial uh, and does so much more uh, for the birds. Doesn't spread bird to bird, uh, and uh, doesn't cause the havoc that the chick embryo vaccine uh, will uh, will cause. Now we come to the uh, Vectormune vaccine, which is a good vaccine, by the way. uh, What this is is a genetically engineered uh, vaccine. And what they've done is they've taken a portion of the LT virus, okay, and removed from that portion of the virus that part of it which will make it replicate as a uh, disease entity. And they then take that and put it into a extremely mild pox virus. And that's where they call it the uh, vector immune, uh, uh, they call it uh, uh, yeah, vector immune falpox LT. Okay? And that's, that's what they call a pox vector. The and all that means, big fancy word, but what it, all it means is if you took that segment of that virus that they extracted from the original LT virus that they were using and just gave that to the bird, um, the bird's immune system would respond to it, but it would be extremely slow and the chances of getting the disease before it got any appreciable immunity, even if it would build any appreciable immunity, uh, would be uh, uh, would be great. So... What they did was, in order to make that little speck piece of virus build antibodies to the LT, they inserted it into a live but very mild pox vaccine. So you would give this vaccine in the same way you would give falpox vaccine. It's a wing-web stab, okay, and you would mix up the vaccine, dip the stabber in it, wipe it on the side like I've told you before, and then the wing-web, after you pull some feathers out, you would bury that stabber right up to the tissue uh, on the wing, the uh, the uh, LTI vax. I failed to tell you that it is given uh, intraocularly uh, for birds that are show, and so uh, we recommend giving it in the nostril. And the um, the uh, chick embryo can be done the same way. And I believe some of the chick embryos still carry a uh, uh, direction sheet for putting it in the drinking water. And therein lies the problem as well. Uh, people want to take the easy way out. Most people don't want to go and pick up each bird and stab them and, do, and put it in their eye or in their nostril, so it's easier to put it in the water. But the damage that can be done by doing that uh, is, is quite large, uh, not only to the flock itself, but making them carry it so that when you go somewhere else, you bring it with you. Um, so uh, 
but this vector immune vaccine, the the knock against it is if you are uh, in a state where you vaccinate for foulpox, you're probably going to have a very high degree of uh, antibodies uh, circulating in the bloodstream, okay, and therefore this vaccine would be negated by that. For instance, if you are on a vaccination program for foulpox, and you vaccinate on a yearly basis. I have some people that live in areas where they vaccinate every six months, okay? The level of antibodies are going to be very high that are circulating in the blood. Well, if you give them a mild vaccine that's not capable of overriding those antibodies, the antibodies are going to negate the vaccine. So you can't use this in an area where you're using pox vaccines or you intend to use it or you're in an area where you shouldn't be using it in an area where you're going to um, uh, have a lot of mosquito activity and a greater potential for uh, foulpox. So, um, and we don't really know what the longevity of this, how long the protection uh, is going to be for a person who uses it today and then wants to take a look at what their LT protection is next year. Uh, I've never seen any data on that, and any data that comes out of the commercial poultry industry is short-lived as well because laying chickens... Uh, don't hang around very long, okay? You look at 18 months, maybe 24 months if they molt them and, 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 and relay them. But most of the time you're looking at short term there, okay? So, uh, you know, that that becomes a problem. So it's not the cure-all uh, either. Um, you know, recently in the last several years, the broiler uh, industry has gone to a, uh, a Marix LT vaccine done in ovo, in ovo meaning in the egg before they hatch it. 18 days when they transfer, they put them on a machine, uh, these needles come down, puncture a hole in the shell, inject the vaccine into the uh, amatoic sac, put a little uh, seal of wax over it, and then they transfer them to the hatcher. They hatch out, and uh, they have some uh, antibodies starting. Well, it's not working out the way they liked it. There are issues with it, too. So there's there's no real great... uh, answer to eliminate this totally, but if your exposure to this disease would be reasonably high, okay, and you're only going to be the only judge of that, then I would consider vaccinating, okay? If I felt I didn't have much of a risk, I wouldn't vaccinate. And I'll say this to you, I live in an area where LT is endemic. It's everywhere and anywhere, okay? They've learned to control it here by vaccinating, and they use the LTI vax here as well. And they've pretty much stopped it in its tracks. They have issues with it every now and then. But they, they wall off that grid and they vaccinate everything in the grid. Nothing moves in or out until, until it's stopped. And then they market those birds. I vaccinate for nothing. These birds were vaccinated nine years ago. And they continue to, to be free of the LT virus. We, can't, we haven't been able to pick it up. So, um, and they were all vaccinated with the LTI vaccine. And um, I have chicken houses, commercial chicken houses, within half to three-quarters of a mile of where I am. And we don't let anybody in. Nobody comes in. Nobody goes out. Birds are all here. We don't bring in any birds. You've heard me say it before. They're a geriatric flock. Uh, They're all up in age. And, uh, you know, plenty of fresh air, plenty of clean feed, good place to stay. Uh, uh, That's clean and and good airflow and and that kind of thing Makes, makes a big difference. So um, 
this is what LT is about, and the best thing you can do is, uh, is if you've got a closed flock, keep it that way. If you go to a poultry show, do your due diligence in your biosecurity. When you come home, you never go right to the coop. You wash everything you, you've got on. You take a shower. Uh, I know, sounds crazy, but um, if you don't, one of these days they'll come back and bite you, and you wish you had. So it's a lot easier to do it this way than it is uh, the other way. And uh, you know, once you get it, you're kind of stuck with it. So uh, if I had my druthers, I'd sure rather be without. I'd take some other disease. So I'd take mycoplasma before I take this. I can deal with mycoplasma straight up. You know, and you can, through a process of elimination and, and stuff, you can you can eliminate that from a flock. But uh, this one here is going to be real, real tough. So uh, people need to be thinking about that. Andy, do you want to do a commercial break? Yeah, we can do that. Not a problem. Uh, very interesting information, especially about the vaccines. A lot of people are, are interested in that. Well, you know, oh, is there a vaccine available for this or that or the other? And then um, being and having the information uh, to know which one they should choose, even based on cost, is a very valuable information, I think, uh, to have to make sure they give the best care for uh, their birds. So fascinating uh, information. I'll jot some of that down for future reverence. So, uh, yeah, we'll take a break before we come back and uh, wrap up and or start talking about a quick review of uh, AI, avian influenza, and some uh, biosecurity folks. We're talking with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. Write it down with all your notes, <laughs> FirstStateVetSupply.com. They don't have it. You don't need it. It's a great stuff over there to keep your backyard flock happy and healthy. And we'll be back right after this short break from our sponsors. Stay with us, folks. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfge.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, 
Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. McMurray Hatchery is the world's oldest and largest rare breed hatchery. They have been providing their customers quality poultry since 1917 and have more than 110 different breeds to choose from. Be sure to sign up for their weekly special email at mcmurrayhatchery.com and receive a $5 internet exclusive coupon to use on your first internet order. McMurray Hatchery, the world's largest and oldest rare breed hatchery. How would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to the all-free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. If you like a real magazine to hold in your hands while you sit in your easy chair and and get educated about your backyard poultry, well, we can uh, accommodate you as well, because uh, you can subscribe to the print edition. It will mail directly to your mailbox for just $9.95. And uh, you can subscribe to either form of Chicken Whisperer magazine and read all of the available issues that we have out right now at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. So uh, go take a look. Good website. And uh, we're back with Peter Brown, also the chicken doctor, and we're going to let him uh, continue on and uh, wrap up the show, talking a little bit about uh, AI and uh, biosecurity. Just a, a good overview, folks. So, uh, Peter, I'll hand it back over to you, my friend. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, we would uh, just, just touch on this. I don't, I'm not by any stretch wanting to be an alarmist on this. I, I believe in being uh, smart and taking uh uh, precautions because I've heard people uh, on Facebook and other places um, say, well, it's a West Coast problem. Um, it's not just a West Coast problem. It's showing its ugly head right now there. Uh, and maybe if that makes it a problem just on the West Coast, so be it. But uh, this can pop up anywhere. Um, the uh, North American flyways uh, are not just East and West Coast. They're all over the country. They come down from Canada. Uh, this, this particular disease uh, uh, came from waterfowl and, and other birds, um, 
down through uh, Washington, Oregon, and, and, and so on. Um, so I wanted to just uh, talk about it just briefly be because of the fact that it, it does have the potential to cause uh, havoc. Um, there is an area there uh, in the Pacific Northwest that is quarantined. Um, in actuality, a, a good place to go on Facebook and get some good information um, if, is to uh, go and uh, get a hold of the people there in the Pacific Northwest Poultry Association. They're keeping on top of it, keeping people updated. They're talking to their state vet uh, as much as they can. He's busy out in the field himself, uh, everybody trying to contain this and not let it get out of hand. Uh, and I think they're doing a, you know, doing a real good job. Um, containing and controlling uh, avian influenza has come a long way uh, uh, from, from back in the 70s, 80s, 90s uh, when uh, there were some big outbreaks and, and in some cases were mishandled, but uh, they've got a real good uh, methodology to what they do now and, and they respond very quickly. Um, I don't know off the top of my head uh, how many f uh, flocks are now uh, been contaminated out there, but it's a very low number. Uh, I want to say three. Um, but I'm not even sure of that. I'm, I'm not following it quite that closely, but when I see people, uh, you know, telling everybody they should practically get a tarp and cover up their house, I think that's absurd and ridiculous. I think you should take all the necessary precautions. Uh, you certainly uh, are not going to go duck hunting, okay? Uh, you're not going to let anybody in your house go duck hunting. You know, you've got a dog. Uh, I'll give you, for instance, uh, I live here in, in, a, in a, the East Coast Flyway. I mean, uh, this time of the year here in many areas uh, the fields are just covered with uh, snow geese okay they're they're migrating and uh, it looks like uh, it's snowed even though it's raining out today if you go out uh, uh, east of where I am maybe uh, 10 or 15 miles you'll run into every one of them they'll be all over the place would be crazy if you lived on that property and you had chickens to let your dog run around in the field and then let them come in a chicken house with you or, and things of that nature it's, it's always something that we didn't think of or we didn't think was going to be a big deal that turns out to be a big deal, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Um, you know, we didn't think the guy at the stop sign, even though he had his right signal on, was actually going to go through the intersection. So we turned in front of him, and then, lo and behold, he hits us, and, you know, you say, well, you had your signal on. He said, well, I wasn't going that way, you know, and it becomes a, a problem. Same thing here. Uh, so you want to take all the precautions that you can, Um a good foot bath it doesn't really matter what you use as as a disinfectant, bleach, uh, uh, Vercon S, uh, uh, Oxine. I don't care, as long as you're doing something, and uh, you know limit your exposure. Um, you know the, the biosecurity is only going to be as good as as you are at enforcing it. Uh, nobody in, nobody out. Um, keep the uh, free flying birds and stuff uh, away. Here's another way. Um, I was reading uh, some, some old articles that I had here um, just last week when somebody was asking me some questions about uh, uh, avian influenza. And it's an interesting thing. Uh, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, there was outbreaks in, in Minnesota on free-range turkeys, okay? And, um, you know, unbeknownst to anybody at the time, it wasn't considered a, a, that big a deal. But uh, these turkeys picked it up by drinking water uh, out of a pond where waterfowl uh, frequented all the time. Nobody gave it a second thought. Nobody thought to uh, to uh, put a fence up there and, and keep them out of there. So, you know, it can be that easy for this to be spread at, at your facility, in your place. 
And uh, so I, I didn't want to belabor the point. I don't want to be an alarmist. There were a couple folks on Facebook running around, do this, do this, do that, and, and getting kind of crazy about it. No, just be smart, okay? Uh, don't step off the curb in front of the bus thinking you can beat the bus across there because you've been doing it for the last 10 years. Uh, the day you stub your toe is the last day you're going to beat the bus. And the same thing applies here. So, you know, use your due diligence. Be smart about it. Uh, do all you can within reason. Uh, if you feel like you've got to cover your pens, cover them. Not going to hurt anything. Uh, certainly don't let anybody in, let anybody out. Uh, that, that's all going to go uh, a, a long ways to, to, uh, uh, you know, to keeping uh, your, your flock healthy. Uh, don't let the free-flying birds share water and feed if you can. I know some people can't. I know some people have got birds that are free-range and everything else. But, you know, it might be wise. Take a look out at your free-range. See where your birds are going. See what they're doing. Uh, see if there's any waterfowl sitting around anywhere. See if there's a small little puddle somewhere with two. Uh, uh, and, and don't tell me they won't, because I see it here. I see them here. The the, uh, uh, the mallard ducks like these drainage ditches we have around here for drainage off the side of the road. And you let them fill up with a little bit of water, and lo and behold, there's two mallard ducks in the thing. So uh, they will come, and they because they're looking for it. So just just be smart about it. Just uh, doesn't doesn't take much effort at the end of the day. But it'll take a whole lot of effort to get your operation going again if they have to come in and, and put them all down. It's just just not worth the the, uh, the aggravation when you can all of these things can be uh, uh, prevented at the end of the day. So uh, I don't want to belabor the point, Andy. I think that you know everybody's pretty much gotten the point, and biosecurity is just that: nobody in, nobody out. Foot bath. Uh, if you go somewhere. Uh, you know, Take your shower, wash your clothes, change your shoes, uh, that kind of thing, and certainly stay away from other, other, uh, mainly waterfowl at this point. You know, uh, if you've got a friend uh, who is constantly going to the swaps, stay away from them because that's this stuff is is uh, readily available. A lot of the swaps. Yeah, and um, folks, you can listen to we have, we have an entire episode um, with lots of uh, great people uh, on the episode. We had someone from the USDA. Uh, we did have Peter Brown, the chicken doctor. We had uh, Dr. McCray um, uh, out of uh, Delaware State. We had Dr. Uh, Maurice Patiski from UC Davis. I believe it was the last show of the year. And uh, you can find that in our archives uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, where we talked all about avian influenza. We got information uh, from USDA about about the situation out in Oregon at the time, the backyard flock. Now, there's been, I think, two more backyard flocks in, I want to say, Washington. There's been an alert in, uh, I think it was Utah, uh, telling those folks to, to take some of uh, the biosphere precautions, uh, step it up a little bit in Utah, and, of course, Northern California. So, uh, but, yeah, if you want a good uh, all-rounded and well-rounded show about uh, the, the, this outbreak and kind of the biosecurity and all about AI and why there's no vaccine and you know, why we don't get the vaccine and things like that, it was all covered in that episode just a couple of weeks ago. You can find that at blogtalkradio.com forward slash backyard poultry. And uh, it's there ready and uh, willing to uh, educate you about this particular uh, situation and, uh, of course, saving influence. So um, great show, uh, timely topics, good review, uh, especially about the uh, LP and especially about the vaccinations and signs and symptoms and, and um uh, how to identify all those, Peter. It's always a pleasure to have you on. It's always great information, information that we can really use, we can understand, down to earth, 
at our level so uh, that we can implement uh, for our backyard flock. So that's always very, very important. That's why we like having you on. Folks, uh, Peter joins us every single Monday right here on Backyard Poultry with the uh, Chicken Whisperer. And uh, I spoke to you soon earlier in the show about not having a show next Monday, being I'm having a show every Friday, but uh, don't uh, ignore that right now. I'll make the announcement either Sunday night or uh, as late as Monday morning based on uh, where I'm at and uh, along the road to my recovery. I may even have a uh, post-op appointment that wouldn't let me uh, broadcast. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm not going to. Uh, um, so anyway, but uh, so Peter, thank you very much uh, for coming on today. Great information as always. We look forward to having, and, and I believe that's not a spoiler uh, whatsoever, but I think your article for the spring edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine is going to be, didn't we say it was going to be on Curcumin? Yeah. Yep. Very good. So definitely looking forward to that. That'll be uh, rolling into the on 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 the printers probably sometime uh, around the first week of uh, February. So we're looking forward to that too. Thanks for being a contributor to the magazine, Peter. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you hopefully next Monday. My pleasure, Andy. Good luck to you. Thank you so much, buddy. Appreciate it. And that's going to wrap up another episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Um, I'll keep you informed on Facebook and Twitter about which days we'll broadcast, which days we're not. Um, we will be on the road on a Thursday heading over to the uh, uh, area where we're going to have the, the surgery, and I do have a uh, pre-op on Thursday. So I am pretty much know there's no show this Thursday uh, with uh, poultry uh, scientist uh, Dr. McRae. She may be able to join us Wednesday, and do you have call and see if she can join us on on uh oh actually I take that back. This Wednesday, uh I believe is gonna be all about essential oils. But I've got to contact our good friend Tracy Kennebec with Purple Lotus Oils. New year, uh, new shows. So I gotta give her a call. But uh, we will definitely, as always, be broadcasting whenever we can. Uh because we know you love to tune in and we appreciate you um tuning in. So uh all nine hundred and eighty episodes that we've done over the last six years are archived your listening pleasure iTunes.com, podcast.com, zoom.com, and right here at blogtalkradio.com. We thank you very much for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time right here on Blog Talk Radio, brought to you by Combat Feeds. God bless everybody.